0: Today on CityCast Madison. Madison's a city of dreamers who can also get stuff done. One such person is the current and now soon-to-be departing CEO of YWCA Madison, Vanessa McDowell Atlas. For the past seven years, she's led YWCA in its innovative, feet-on-the-ground efforts to end racism and uplift women in our area. She's also the first Black woman to ever hold the role. So before Vanessa passes the torch, we sat down with her to hear what's next and get any wisdom she's gained for doing anti-racism work in Madison. It's Wednesday, February 14th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Vanessa, hello. Hello. How are you, Bianca? It's
1: good to see you and and talk to you today.
0: It's so good to see you. It's always a pleasure. And I want to ask, how are you? How are you feeling? Oh, as you can imagine, a mix of emotions. So, you know, day to day,
1: taking a day at a time, but good. I mean, it's a mixture of excitement, a mixture of bittersweet right um leaving an organization that I love and love um my wife family and
0: tiredness (laughs) trying
1: (laughs) to wrap up everything so yeah it's a a mixture of a lot of things but
0: good yeah for those first who don't know um what does YWCA do as an organization like what's your mission and what do y'all get up to
1: so our mission is to eliminate racism, empower women, and promote peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. And we do that in sort of three programmatic areas, I would say, of housing and shelter, uh, racial justice or race and gender equity work, and then also our job training and transportation work. And so in those three buckets, we have multiple programs that we serve our community uh, with. And so we try to take a holistic approach uh, and being able to provide multiple services uh, to individuals from, uh, in in that building um, and then being able to provide uh, employment opportunities and, and job training uh, opportunities for individuals, transportation, which is huge. Uh, so trying to connect all the dots that, you know, individuals may be um, struggling to find resources for to be able to, you know, really maintain a life here in Madison.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, you started with the organization back in 2014 Mm -hmm. um, and you were a historic hire for CEO in the 108 year history of the YWCA, Um, you know, when you took on CEO, you were the first black woman to ever take that position. Um, What originally inspired you to want to become the leader, be at the helm?
1: Great question. So I can't say that it was something that was on my radar. I think it was something that I would say was sort of destined. I think it was something that was purposed um, in my life. I try to live my life uh, on purpose, right? And trying to figure out how I can best serve uh, my community. And at the time I was asked by my predecessor, to be the interim because she was leaving and taking another opportunity. And I thought, mm, maybe I, we'll try it. <laughs> okay, no no problem, I can hold it down for a little bit, right, <laughs> is what I thought. You know, they did a national search and it came the time where I either had to make a choice to put my hat in the ring or not. And I really struggled with that because I really thought I knew the historic piece of this and I knew that was a heavy weight for me man, like it's taken 108 years to get here. One, right? Uh, For an organization who in its mission talks about eliminating racism and empowering women, right? So it's got this interesting dynamic um, that I was wrestling with. And just, you know, whether I wanted to, if I was the right one, you know, a lot of questions. And I was having a conversation with my mom. I tell the story all the time and my dad and I was at their house and they, they live here and they um, you know often give me guidance. And my mom, she's a trailblazer in her own right. She was the first um, person to lead the multicultural center on UW-Madison's campus. Uh, and she ironically, we were having this conversation. She was telling me about her experience and she started as an interim and became the permanent. And as we kept talking about it, we realized I was the same age that she was making the same decision and so it was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> if
0: it, I think I'm supposed to do this. <laughs> yeah, so. sometimes the dots are too clear.
1: <laughs> so I, I took that as a sign and put my hat in the ring, and the rest is literal history.
0: Yeah. And your next move that's sweeping you away will be continuing to support and empower trailblazing women of color. Yes. um, Tell us about that. Where are you going? Yeah,
1: I'm excited to be a part of an organization called Black Girl Ventures. Uh, it's an opportunity where this organization provides uh, social and financial capital to Black and Brown women business owners. And so they do like pitch contests across the nation uh, to funnel some of these dollars to um, Black and Brown business women owners. And so I'm super excited uh, to step into the role of Chief chief operating officer there. And I'm super excited to be supporting another Black woman's vision. And so, yeah, I I can't wait to start.
0: So what went into your decision to step away from the YWCA and take this new role?
1: I'm a woman of faith, and I really try to be intentional about where I am, what I'm doing, as I mentioned earlier, just living in purpose, on purpose. And I kind of have really been feeling in my spirit that my season was kind of setting at YWC Madison. And and some of those signs for me are when my vision starts to wane for a place. Um, I feel like I had vision and moved all the things and pieces I was supposed to move during the time I've been here. Um, And I felt like. I had one last thing I really wanted to complete, which was um, to own our empowerment center building and then be able to sell uh, the other part of our building to um, Lino and Maria Ruiz, who are a Mexican couple that own El Pastor, because I really wanted to make sure that we had black and brown commercial building ownership in South Madison. And so that was sort of my last like project that I felt like I needed to complete before I could feel like I could move on. Ironically, in my faith, the number seven usually represents completion. And I will have entered my seventh year as CEO here in January. And so it just felt like all of the things were lining up for me to hand the baton off uh, to the next leader who has vision. And I'm super excited for Jerry, who is going to be uh, leading uh, as our interim CEO. Um, And I just know that Jerry is going to take it even higher. So I'm super excited about that.
0: Yeah. So Jerry Paredes uh, Vasquez is going to be the interim CEO. And after you just told that story, you know, it it is kind of a step into possible being the next leader in general. What might you share about her?
1: Yeah. So Jerry has led our race and gender equity department for Uh, the last six years. And it's really kind of the engine behind our racial justice summit that we have every year, uh, that I know you have participated in and been in our rooftop party.
0: (laughs) Yes, last year's (laughs) life-changing and fun and bombastic, (laughs) (laughs) the dancing part. Yeah.
1: So like it was, it's been in my spirit that, you know, she's the right one. Uh, The way that Jerry thinks about Our mission and and lives out our mission, not only in the work, but in life, I think is important. And I know that she has vision for uh, where we can go next. And so I often, you know, tell Jerry that she's brilliant, she's a thought leader, she's um, someone that always works to work in co creation with others. And so I think that is going to really be great uh, for the next phase of the next season of YWCA Madison.
0: So, you know, leaving, you're leaving the organization in very strong hands. How are you feeling about the state of YWCA as you leave? You know, now having been there for a decade and been contributing, and as you said, carrying out your vision, what are some of, what's some of the legacy that you're leaving?
1: Yeah, you know, it's been interesting. Each year I try to be intentional about setting a tone for the year with a word or a phrase or something that kind of leads us in that year. And so this year I felt led that our theme for the year is reflect. And so it has really been fitting. I'm kind of departing here and I've just been in reflection mode Uh, for a while and just thinking about all the things that we've been able to accomplish together and how we have drastically changed, you know, in terms of our internal culture. Uh, We're definitely not who we used to be, right? And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the work that we have, you know, intentionally been doing to make sure that we are practicing what we're preaching, right? That we're actually, saying and living out our values of hum- humanity, community growth and restoration. And that's something that we uh, put together as a as a collective YW family, uh, right before actually COVID hit. And we didn't know that we would have to use these values, <laughs> you know, in such a way. <laughs> and so it's been beautiful just to see how we are interpreting the values and really trying to live them, right? And so I I hope to leave that legacy of humanity, community growth and restoration. I hope to leave um, a legacy around just being able to be you, be yourself in leadership, not being conformed, um, but allowing uh, the, beautiful pieces and gifts that you have to offer to come out, right? And share with the world. People don't know this, but my staff does very well because I tell this all the time that by nature, I'm an introvert. And so this job has made me like, has pulled me to really be out there, right? In ways that were uncomfortable um, and using my voice. And, you know, it was hard for me in the beginning to Share my voice. I was a little scared to do so in large spaces with people. Like, yeah, one on one, cool, but like in front of everybody, not so much. Now it's like the more I have practiced that, now you can't shut me up, right? Like, (laughs) now I'm using my voice wherever I can, you know, to stand on our mission, to stand on who we are, to stand on the fact of bringing voices that sometimes aren't in the room. Um, And so I hope to leave that legacy too, um, of being able to use your voice, um, because we need to hear it.
0: One of the things that's always struck me about um, all of the staff, including you, who work at YWCA, is that intentionality and saying living on purpose and um, the energy of around you, saying trying to empower people to show up as themselves. That makes me think of the anti-racism work of that. There's not just one construct. There, that's what we've been. We might have been handed a white supremacist construct, which that word and phrasing scares a lot of people, but. That's what it is living in a, a predominantly white culture, where there's expectations about how someone might show up, and it can be really challenging for, <laughs> for us to say it, you know, the most politely way, yep. <laughs> uh, folks of color, uh, <laughs> to step into leadership. Like, what has that been like for you and Madison?
1: Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely been a struggle. I'm I'm not silent about that. Uh, I, I think that things. Are harder than they need to be, right? Um, I think that there is a lot of bias. You know, I talk all the time about dealing with racism, sexism, and ageism. Quite frankly, in this role, and how to have to navigate that every day is exhausting, right? I think there are spaces of opportunity of growth. Uh, for our community around this. And I've seen, you know, sparks of it um, just in the work that we do. And it's it's one of the rewarding pieces, I think, to the work when the light bulb comes on for people. And they're like, oh, so yeah, what I was doing was problematic. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) Right? Uh, (laughs) Level
0: three. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) And so I think for me it has been one of those things where i don't want to be silent or create a picture about leadership as a black woman and sugarcoat it because i want people to really understand how hard it is and i and i want people to really try to see in what ways do they contribute to it being hard um i think sometimes all the hoops we have to jump through sometimes are ridiculous. You know, Um, I have watched and been a witness to just some of the processes that our city puts in place. And they're designed, you know, on face to be supporter of communities of color, but really they're deterrent to communities of color. And that right there is just disheartening, right? Um, having to jump through hoops to do the right thing or or <laughs> jump through hoops just for what's right um, mm-hmm. can is a challenge. Um, and yeah. so I would say, I, I don't like to, you know, gloss it or I don't like to make it seem like, oh, cause I always get the question about what is, you know, uh, great about Madison or what's and give me something that's challenging I'm like well can I just tell you what I want to tell you
0: yes (laughs)
1: it's just it's challenging right
0: yeah Uh, can I give you the gift of my honesty um can you be interested in my full truth and what's true for me and my experience Yes. um because people it is it is particularly disturbing when you do do that and it's rejected, you know, because it's yes. a vulnerable space to yes. to share criticism, frankly. Yes. Yeah.
1: I, I hope that I have, you know, in connection to your other question about legacy, I hope that I have left uh, a legacy in broader in this city around breaking down doors and opening doors uh, for others to be able to, to come through a little easier than I've had to do it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are there any specifics that you could share about how you could see Madison, maybe, you know, over the next, I'm just going to be generous, 10 years (laughs) Um, taking new steps, like things that you've really hoped to see around eliminating racism?
1: Yeah, I mean, one off the top of my head right now is we have to figure out this housing crisis we have to think outside the box i think we're too you know in the box with our thinking around how to help solve what affordable housing could look like in madison Uh, i don't think we have even touched the surface of trying to figure out what that looks like and what i mean specifically about that is how do we bring communities of color back in because i feel like they have been pushed out because we can't afford to live here um, that needs to be figured out quickly uh, because I feel like we're in an interesting phase, it's almost like we're at a crossroads where we, we can either go right or we can go left And as a city. And I think if we do not really figure out what it will take to make that a priority, I think we're going left. I think also, you know, with tied to that is homeownership particularly for black and brown folks. Um, I personally have a commitment to that uh, and seeing that grow. Uh, I have my own LLC that I uh, work in collaboration with my business partner Kamal Callaway uh, called Madison Roots, which is the goal is to create black wealth in the Madison community through home ownership, right? Uh, and so things like that, thinking of ideas like that to help us think different or outside the box of how can we make this better for people of color. We have got to be able to make Madison a space that everybody feels like they belong. I mean when you think about the talent or the the what there is to do here for, for you know, communities of color, particularly black the black community, it's lacking. You know, but we're often faced with we may have one uh place that we can go to that folks wanna go to and then it gets shut down, right? Because it's over-policed or, you know, all these things that happen that create an environment where we in particular, speaking of my own identity, we as black people don't feel like we belong here, right? Or that we're not wanted here, right? And so we gotta figure that out. And it can't be a 10-year a plan. It's gotta be an immediate plan of what does that look like? And then how do we get the voices? And when I say voices, I mean, we're not a monolith as a community. So how do we get as many voices as we can of black and brown communities to talk about what our needs are and then have support behind it? And I would add, how do we contribute financially to organizations that are led by people of color doing the work for people of color. Because I think we have a disconnect sometimes where sometimes we have our white counterparts that are trying to do the work on our behalf and they get that support. But then you have us who, hey, we are in this identity and we don't get any support. And so those are just a few things that, you know, come to rise at to the top of my head of just to me, tangible things that we could be doing uh, in our community to make it better for all.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) You know, I had so many reactions to that. And one of the main ones that are sticking out is, I think we see that people love us on the signs (laughs) around the houses and in the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Um, But when there are initiatives, you know, and all of this talk about diversity and bringing folks in when you're actually at the table, how do you not totally alienate the people of color and respect them and include them meaningfully? Um, Because I think there's a lot of work and I I don't need to tell you, but a lot of work there to be done. And that's one of the types of programming that YWCA does is actually training around anti-racism and how to not alienate and support and empower the people of color and and a lot of this discussion with the city you know i said 10 years from now but it's changing rapidly mm-hmm. we're growing extremely fast and we okay. hear a lot about attracting new people and keeping the new people here and it's like what about the people who are already here and the people right. of color that are, are struggling so those are my <laughs> big reactions and you know for folks who haven't engaged with YWCA, um, I wanna ask like, what do you feel like the YWCA's most promising programming is around addressing these gaps and understanding? Well, I think it's
1: the totality of who we are, quite frankly, I can't name a program per se that doesn't tackle all of this in in, in some form or fashion, right? I think we live and breathe our mission in every aspect of the work that we do. So. Yes, we have opportunities where people can engage in real work around when you say you wanna be equitable as an organization, then we're gonna come in there for about three years, two to three years and really do some deep work, right? We're not, we're not a checkbox organization. We are very much a relational organization. We're an organization um, that really operates in practice and not just verbiage, I'll say. Right. Talk. Not
0: just talk.
1: And I think people get lost, and particularly our white counterparts get lost in uh, thinking it's too big, right? That racism and this problem, you know, it's just too big. And then they get in a point of being stifled or feeling like they can't do anything. And so I always try to find ways to give them like tangible things that you can do, which is, I love the question because it requires action what is your action step that you're going to take that is going to be a step in the direction of making Madison better for the black and brown community? What action are you going to do? Not what you're saying, not all these conversations we're having. What is your tangible action that you're going to do? And I think being able to see to your point what's going on in our city with a rapid growth and the gentrification and all the things that are happening, I think we're missing that part. And I, and when you were talking about, you know, how we're invited into the conversation or to the table, can we create the table? Can we be the ones that can lead it? And I think that's been the issue as well. We're often brought in, once the idea has been put and set in stone, and then now you wanna get our feedback on what you created and it's too late. I wanna see where communities of color are engaged to say, hey, here's something we're thinking about, Try to figure out what ideas do you all have and how can we fund it? How can we get behind it? That's a totally different way of doing it, right? Housing, what kind of housing would you like to see? not let's build something and then say, fit in this, what we created, these projects we created. I'm just being honest, right? Um, And so I think we just have to be able to think differently about the approach, right? And how we are engaging people.
0: Well, Vanessa, we and Madison have so much gratitude to share with you, speaking for myself and so many other people and what you've done with your leadership at YWCA is really incredible. I know you'll be missed and it's really exciting that you're going on to this national um, platform as well.
1: Thank you so much, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate being able to share my voice and being invited to share my voice in a real way. So thank you, Bianca, for that.
0: It's our honor. That's Vanessa McDowell-Atlas, departing CEO of YWCA Madison and soon to be chief operating officer of Black Girl Ventures. Her last day is this Friday, February 16th. If you'd like to follow YWCA's work, head to our show notes for a link. That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not share this episode with the most purpose-driven person you know? We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until then, keep it anti-racist.